1: Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller.
2: Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg
1: experts, along with essential market-moving news. On the Bloomberg Markets podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. All right, let's talk to space. I mean, yesterday was an exciting day for Jeff Bezos for uh, commercialization of space, if you will. Let's bring in uh, Andrew Shannon. He's a chief executive officer at Procure AM. Andrew, you know, a lot of folks talking about space, talking about the commercialization of space, privatization of space. You're right on the front lines. What did you take away from what we've seen over the last... You know, 10 days first with Sir Richard Branson and then yesterday with uh, Jeff Bezos. What's your takeaway?
3: I think it's truly incredible and inspiring. And we're seeing, you know, in, in real time in our lives how people that, you know, focus money and technology and invest in these types of technologies are able to to achieve their goals. And I think it's you know really encouraging for individuals, whether you're students, whether you're entrepreneurs, um, whether you're just fascinated by space to see you know over and over again, I feel like this year we've seen some incredible breakthroughs and some new technologies, and it's opening up the commercial space industry, as you said.
2: So in terms of investors, what kind of interest uh, have you got? I mean, I know we've seen incredible inflows into space um, related assets. Uh, but but where do people want to put their money? where Where are you looking to invest in space related stuff?
3: Yeah. So, you know, space is also a risky proposition. You know, it takes time, it takes money, and you know, certainly safety is something that needs to be uh, you know, figured out before companies can really uh, move forward quickly. And, you know, for us, from the, you know, my, my whole experience is being in the ETF market, diversification was always something that I thought was, you know, uh, something investors might want to look at, especially with earlier stage, longer term kind of industries, such as space being one of those. And, you know, right now, If you look at UFO, it's got 35 companies from around the world all specializing in different areas, but you have a real large exposure to satellites and communications, and you're not really getting much of that exposure through other types of ETFs, but you're getting all different areas, too, like space tourism and launch companies, as well as those using, uh, you're creating technologies that we can use in space, as well as using space to help us benefit ourselves down here on Earth.
1: Andrew, you know... I think what yesterday's <clears throat> launch and, and the launch from uh, Richard Branson earlier just kind of revised the conversation about. Okay, remind me again. What is the business case for commercializing space? Is it space tourism? Is it hauling stuff around? Um, how, do, how, how do you think about it?
3: Yeah, well, if you if you look at you know Blue Origin, their goal is to build the the road to space so that you know the future can can enjoy space and. Being able to create things like reusable rockets, which help lower the cost of launching things into outer space, is one way you can do that. And by being able to lower the barriers of entry to space, it could bring in completely new companies and entrants and research projects and whatnot um, that maybe were preventative before at higher costs. So there's a lot that they're doing right now in space, and they're trying to build out that infrastructure so we can really start to to see what we can do when when we can get these costs down. Just you know, space tourism is just you know one small part of the broader space industry, and so that hasn't stopped it from getting uh, you know the lion's share of the attention in recent days.
2: Yeah, I mean tourism is exciting. I can't wait till uh, me and Paul can go broadcast live from some private space station, but <laughs> what else can you do up there? I mean, can you can you mine resources up there? Can you um, bring some heavy industry up there so we don't have to have the carbon emissions here on Earth? I mean, is there really uh, a, a lot already planned?
3: There is a tremendous amount of things that you can do in space, and we're not even scratching the surface. We're, we haven't even gotten to the surface, really, when you look at things. And yes, you know, manufacturing in outer space well when you're building with with zero you know with weightlessness you know that's that's incredible you know you can build things more efficiently you can build things larger um, but really you know you mentioned your resource extraction and mining asteroids yes it might be a little bit further along but we already have plans of going to the moon and building permanent bases. And China wants to build a permanent uh, research base on the moon by 2028. Well, you can't do that without being able to extract the resources around you unless you want to try to send every single item that you're going to need in space to outer space, which takes time and a significant amount of money. So being able to actually harness the resources that are available in outer space becomes extremely critical as we try to expand humanity beyond Earth. And so the, the resources are there. Figuring out the technologies on how we can bring them to to people. How do you sustain life on the moon, on Mars, on the space station? And we have already seen some incredible technologies like being able to better purify water. And that's something that we can use here on Earth. We saw space helped build out and further improve technologies for for solar technology, which is another benefit. So there's a lot that you can do in space and here.
1: All right, Andrew, thank you so much for joining us. We always appreciate getting your thoughts and perspective here on this space race, if you will, commercialization, privatization of space. Andrew Shannon, chief executive officer of Procure AM. And again, it was a busy week with uh, Jeff Bezos, Blue Origin. they run uh, UFO, the UFO ETF. Yeah, the UFO ETF. It has to be that ticker. There's no other ticker they could consider. Paul Christopher, head of Global Market Strategy at Wells Fargo Investment Institute based in the city of St. Louis. Paul, thanks so much for joining us here. Again, just this week, it seems to be a little bit of a microcosm of what we've been dealing with, you know, a little bit of volatility, but I mean, a lot of volatility, arguably from a Monday through a Wednesday, right. but still grinding higher. How do you guys think about equities in a market where you have, boy, the 10-year,
4: 1.27%? Yeah, there's, there's just no reason for the 10-year to be at, two, at 1.27%, but look at the 2s to 10s spread. Look at that yield curve slope. It's the, the last time you had 107 basis points or 1.07 percent, and that slope was 2017, pretty good year for equities. Uh, we still think that what we're looking at here is a market that ran very hard, very fast, uh, and, and and expectations got ahead of themselves. But we think the, the growth is still strong. Equities have further to run. And we think that the yield curve will steepen eventually further.
2: Uh, how how does that happen with the yield curve i mean what's going on right now with rates yeah, so what's going on right now is
4: some combination of i mean 120 for heaven's sake on the 10 year that's like a recession uh, so so people have run ahead the expectations for growth have run ahead of reality uh, and now now we're seeing discussions about peak growth we're seeing discussions about could the fed make a policy mistake are they withdrawing liquidity uh you are seeing central banks around the world withdrawing liquidity uh, and then you, you've got also the conversation about the delta variant is that going to result in more lockdown so markets need to get through work themselves through those several issues and then we think you'll start to see if, you, if you're going to have inflation higher and we think we will have inflation somewhat higher than the average of the last 10 years will it'll be higher for the next couple you're going to have inflation at two three percent you're going to have yields higher than what they are right now eventually but some of these psychological issues have to be
1: worked through. All right, Paul, some people in the market, in the equity markets, you know, they're kind of, it's a pull and tug. Do I embrace some of those big growth stories that have been so good for so long, the Amazons, the Netflix of the world who just reported last night? Or do I, you know, kind of play into that rotation trade, maybe a little bit of a reopening trade, some of the cyclicals, some of the financials maybe? How do you, how do you guys think about that?
4: Yeah, so uh, for a while this year, we were actually barbelled. We had an overweight to cyclicals and an overweight to growth. Um, uh, we've decided to go uh, tactically short-term with a, uh, an overweight now to cyclicals and we've returned growth. Uh, so think tech, think, co- uh, consumer discretionary. We've returned those to their long-term allocation. So if you have a sort of a long-term view and you're willing to give tech some, uh, uh, reasonable allocation over that long-term stick with that allocation right now, but take money from defensives like utilities, uh, and staples and put that into cyclicals for the moment.
2: No one likes defensives right now, I've noticed. And they're underperforming. Yeah, well, I guess that's why. One of our best calls this year. I guess that's why you want to stay out of the area. What do you think regionally? Does the U.S. continue to outperform? Do you bet on other reopening trades in Europe, for example, or in Asia?
4: We don't think it's time to to bet on that reopening trade. They'll, They'll struggle with the Delta more than we will uh they're they're being more close together you will have parts of the US that will adopt mask mandates back again we think uh, but the US is probably still the place to be uh we've done well with that preference over time uh we'd like emerging markets better than Europe and Japan also but they may struggle a little bit in the coming months until their vaccination rates get up there so stick for right now stick with the US as an overweight uh and if you have anything left over cash wise stick that in emerging
1: markets how about yield? I mean, boy, as again, we were just talking about the 10-year, 1.27. Where are you looking for, or where do you suggest to your clients they look for yield?
4: Well, right now we're thinking kind of like 2% for the end of the year. We're reviewing that number, though that might be a little bit high, uh, but it's certainly going to be higher, we think, than where it is right now.
2: All right, so uh, uh, we're looking at... Um, a situation where it's not it's not easy to find a return i mean if you're not looking in stocks um do you do you trust the high yield market to not default i mean uh uh, we saw i think it was um uh, it was standard pours that said only one percent of junk debt is going to default this year it seems like a big bet to me it's an interesting question
4: I mean, the, the, the question for investors, the, the real question that you should always come back to is, am I getting paid to take that risk?
2: Exactly. And
4: with the dividend yield in, this, in the S&P right now at a percent and a half, you're not that much below where, what you would get in yield on a, on a high yield, uh, but with a lot more risk, we think. Not this year, perhaps, but in the coming years. So, you know, I wouldn't be buying a lot of, t- of high yield here. Certainly, your long-term allocation, if you have some fixed income in your long-term uh, goals, take your high yield up to that allocation. But don't overweight it at the expense of equities.
1: Very good. Paul Christopher, head of Global Market Strategy at the Wells Fargo Investment Institute uh, based in St. Louis. We appreciate getting your thoughts here.
0: The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at Forum.com.
2: I'm pretty pumped because uh, we're going to bring in Adam Johnson right yep. now. He's the uh, founder and author of the Bullseye Brew, a brief, but um, full disclosure: he's also one of my favorite people. We have, uh, we used to play a lot of squash together. <laughs> We've been known to have the occasional beverage together, and he's got a lot of great ideas um, about stocks that he likes, especially American kind of ingenuity plays. And he's done everything on Wall Street. He's yep. traded like jet fuel futures. He <laughs> has run a hedge fund, founded and run a hedge fund. He was an anchor here at Bloomberg TV. Um, Adam, great to have you with us. Oh, thank
5: you. Um, well, it's I, great to be with you.
2: I'm looking through. Uh, I'm looking through the bullseye brief from Monday, and I yeah. see you've got some new picks. And this is what you do. You're an idea factory, right? For people who love stocks. So one of them stands out to me because you are um, a very clean cut Princeton
5: man. But I see a marijuana company here. You like Cure Leaf <laughs> Holdings. What's the deal? <laughs> Well, you know, I've been resisting this uh, for so long. In fact, I started off the note, I said to people, you know, I've, I've never inhaled, I've never had a hash uh, brownie, but uh, I think I need to start taking this thing seriously. And, and i tell you why. I'll give you one statistic that I think really um, sort of frames the, the conversation about, um, I hesitate to say pot stocks, but let's call them cannabis stocks. Um, in the state of Illinois, in the first quarter, total tax revenues from cannabis almost equaled total tax revenues from liquor
1: wow wow that's amazing yep so you know it gets my attention it
5: yeah it gets my attention too and and again you know it's not the sort of my whole thing's american ingenuity right the people and companies driving the world forward and um you know i don't usually think of uh recreational activities uh which may include cannabis uh as as necessarily innovative and yet uh, there is some incredibly innovative stuff that's happening. Um, I mean, there are a number of pharmaceuticals that actually are starting to use uh, CBD, one of the two essential uh, chemicals in cannabis, to um, treat things like autism. And, you know, so I, think, I just think it, it – the reason I wrote this up is I feel like – again, it's kind of funny. I feel a little tongue-in-cheek. It's the blue chip. Cureleaf is the blue chip operator. It's the most profitable operator. Mm. It's the largest. It's growing the fastest. It does everything right. It operates in about twenty three different states. Its margins are the highest. And I think there's just enough going on here that that I wanted to educate myself about this thing and, and I decided that I was sold on it, so I wrote it up for my Bullseye subscribers as the current pick. So I've hey, been buying it this week.
1: Interesting. Adam, I know, you know, i again I've always considered you a just a fine stock picker. I know you're uh, focus a lot on technology and, and how that's changing lives. And I think if we've come out of anything out of this pandemic, I think probably investors have a perhaps even a more a better appreciation for med tech, biotech, and you know yeah. some of the advances they've had is in t- terms of the vaccines. Where are you looking right now in that med tech, biotech space? What's got your attention?
5: Well, I'll tell you. I think the intersection of artificial intelligence and wearables is incredibly exciting. I actually call it the holy grail of healthcare. Uh, what we're now doing is using um wearables, um, you know, an iWatch that that monitors your your vital signals, um, transmits that data to a doctor, um, thanks to 5G, who then not only compares um that incoming data in real time to your own baseline, but to millions of other patients. And all of a sudden now you can start to have a conversation with a doctor or really between a patient and a doctor, whereby they say, well, you know, maybe you want to adjust your behavior this way. And again, it can be done in real time. So to me, that intersection, um, uh, of Of data and preventative care that's the holy grail of healthcare care it's longer lives for patients it's lower costs for providers It's very exciting there are a whole bunch of names that we could you know get into from health catalyst h c a t to innovalon i n o v uh, obviously Teladoc, which bought Lavango, um on and on i mean it's just that that really gets my attention guys
2: yeah you like nine meter you like telemed. Um you've got yeah. a, a a few picks, and I'll let I guess um listeners subscribe to the bullseye brief for that. I wonder about Chipotle uh, why do you like Chipotle? Uh, we've been talking a lot about yeah. it. I think Paul had five burritos for lunch, but I see that you were buying it on uh on the dip, I guess on monday.
5: Well, actually, you know what i was I was buying charge point. Uh, with the ticker for which is uh,
2: C-H-P-T. <laughs> Excuse me, my mistake. <laughs> C-H-P-T. I instantly thought well, of Mexican food. What's ChargePoint? Well, you know, we,
5: look, you, you and I, are, you and I are, 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 are big fans of Mexican food, so you know, I'm not going to hold it against you. It's not I your favorite
2: Mexican place. I know that because no, I've been there with you. I like you. Rosa Mexicano. There you go. Yeah, yep.
5: That's no, a good call. It's the best. What's ChargePoint then? Oh, ChargePoint is a really, really cool company. Believe it or not, it's the largest Um, producer and operator of what's called level two chargers for electric vehicles. And level two chargers, by the way, are the ones that that you have if you want to be able to charge your car, you know, within an hour or two, as opposed to a level one, which takes all night. Um, You can buy a level two charger at Home Depot, at AutoZone. Um, Amazingly, ChargePoint, again, ticker is CHPT. This I recommended to bullseye subscribers a couple of weeks ago, so I've been buying it recently, building my position. Um, 73% market share here in the U.S. That's incredible. And about 20% in Europe. Um, Again, strong margins, obviously, the thing's growing like a weed. Um, uh, And it's just, you know, it's an exciting place to be. You talk about American ingenuity. You know, here's a company that enables us to be cleaner, to have electric vehicles, on and on.
2: Great uh having you, Adam. Thanks so much for joining us. Adam Johnson, there, who is the founder and the author of The Bullseye Brief, calling in from maybe he is at Rosa Mexicana right now. I thought he's, he's got to be. A
1: great Twitter feed uh, as well. That's a must follow for me.
2: Follow him. This is Bloomberg. <laughs> Bloomberg Markets does roll on. Unfortunately, so does the coronavirus. And I'm going to bring in Sam Fazelli to talk a little bit about that. Right now, he's got uh, his latest research out on the terminal Delta variants. Bad attributes may warrant a new COVID vaccine. He is, of course, our senior pharmaceutical analyst. He also runs EMEA research. Paul and I were talking about this. He's got a PhD in this stuff, so he knows what he's talking about. Sam my my concern after uh, reading your story is we we know that um the delta variant is more infectious. Um, you point out that there's a raised viral load, but also potentially worse disease outcomes. What do we know? what don't we know about the actual effects of of this virus? Yeah, hi
6: Matt. so um You've obviously got the data that came out of the, that continues to flow out of Public Health England that looks at a the, the, the phrase that, that a lot of virologists don't like, transmissibility of the virus, and that's increased relative to the alpha variant. In the region of 30 to 40 to 50, 60, 70, or so percent, and then, and then you've got on top of that what looks to be a higher rate of hospitalizations in people who get infected, which of course depends on age and a lot of other factors. So you've got that data, and then you've got this data that came out that shows that the virus. Obviously, you have higher viral loads, so the more virus you have in your body, it is possible that it gets to. The different corners of your body better or even uh, has much bigger impact on your lung. And then also you get this thing that, that these, some of these viruses do, which is to basically force your, um, the cells that they infect to fuse together, which is part of the pathology, but they use that also to multiply under the uh, radar from your antibodies. So then you get one massive release of virus that is not good either. And this, this Delta variant seems to have all these wonderful attributes um, that, 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 do, that, that
1: do the damage. Sam, uh, do you, is there, what's the science telling us now about the ability of the various vaccines that are in the marketplace now uh, as it relates to this Delta variant?
6: It's a, Paul, there's two ways to, to answer that question. If you wanna go by what the world seems to get excited about, which is case counts, mild infections, anything that, that uh, tests positive on a PCR, then, uh, then we're in trouble because this Delta variant is, is very fit. It passes quickly from person to person, and it's possible... Uh, that it's more resistant to that sh- initial shield of antibodies that, that vaccines give us, particularly antibodies, for instance, that we just saw recently from data from Johnson & Johnson. But if we go one step further and say, actually, no, what we really worry about or care about is prevention of disease, not, not coughs and sniffles, but actually lung damage, hospitalization, severe disease, uh, etc. I think all the vaccines are capable of preventing that to about the same level as they have been to the other uh, uh, variants.
2: My my biggest concern is the long-haul COVID, and we don't really know so much about it yet. We can't. Obviously, it hasn't been around long enough, but, you know, I suffered from long-term Lyme disease. I still have issues occasionally. Is this going to be the same kind of thing, Sam, that some people who get this are going to suffer chronically? Yeah,
6: I mean, the UK, map is, is, is estimating something like 6% of people who got COVID or, or who think you got COVID, so there's, a, there's, a, there's a little nuance there, um, are suffering from some form of long-term effects. And then, of course, that's a lot, right? If you've had then like 2 or 3 million people infected, that's a lot of people who continue to suffer.
2: And I hear horror stories. I mean, I, I have a friend whose sister is like a 30 year old marathon runner, and she has been lethargic and really unable to do anything for months.
6: Yeah, yeah, Matt. We need to tell that to all these people who don't want to take the vaccine, thinking that they have a risk from the vaccine. Everybody will eventually get this virus. They can't, unless they go and, as um, I can't remember who it was who said that, unless you go and live it. Oh, the head of the uh medical uh the chief medical medicines uh, officer in, in the uk unless you're gonna live in a meadow in the middle of a meadow from away from everybody else right so you, you can't lead your normal life and not get the vaccine and then think everything's gonna be fine um, you, you don't know it's a lottery it's a russian roulette
1: sam how about booster shots i mean how do you think this is going to evolve? Uh, going forward. Will we need booster shots? What do you think we're going to hear from somebody? I can't companies? wait
2: to get my booster shot. <laughs> I'm, I'm lined up as yeah, I mean, soon as they offer them. I,
6: I, yeah, right, exactly. So the, the, the issue is, that, again, if, you were, if, if you're going to run your country, which is a little bit what the UK is trying to do right now, right? Saying, look, we can control hospitalizations, we can reduce death, let's not worry about cases and infections, which is, of course, lots of questions on that, right? Then you don't probably need a booster shot. Unless you know that there is a group of people who have an immune response that's weaker or you're much older and you're waning faster, just go and get a booster shot. But if we are saying we need to stop infections and spreading and we don't want to have lockdowns anymore, well, we, ad- we either need booster shots to boost the immune response or actually go and get a new vaccine, which is kind of what I'm suggesting here, that represents the new variants that probably also protects you against the previous variants and um, and then hope that you really rebuild that shield and keep it there
1: is that what we're seeing from the pharma companies is that or maybe is that what we're hearing from the, these pharma companies that hey you know we've already got a vaccine in there for Pfizer Moderna or J&J but we're working on 2.0 3.0 oh
6: well, certainly Moderna uh, Moderna's already in trials with the with the beta variant vaccine and iterations of uh, Johnson um, uh, Pfizer and BioNTech are, are, are doing the same thing. And uh, whether they move on to Delta, time will tell, but I think if I were them, I would have a, a vaccine for Delta and a vaccine for Beta possibly mixed together or as separate uh, because then you've got the whole kind of variety of mutations covered. Assuming that they all work equally well, then you've got the opportunity to uh, to protect people. Johnson and Johnson, I'm sure, will be doing the same. AstraZeneca said they'll be doing the same. So no, far, no, no company that makes vaccines uh, would in their right mind not to do not do this?
2: Are you watching out for Omega? Are we going to get Sigma, chi, Kappa, <laughs> Kappa, Gamma? I mean, is there going to be uh, more and more variants, or, or is Delta kind of the end of I, it?
6: I guarantee you, and if if I've ever guaranteed anything, death, taxes, and viral mutations. That is what these viruses do, right? There is no way that this virus doesn't continue to mutate. Right. The question is, will it emerge with another variant that has developed under pressure from vaccinated people or not? That, I, there's a lot of I, I don't think virologists believe that that actually is a rea- is, is a reality, vaccine resistant viruses. But it's possible that by magic or by accident or by luck, it develops one mutation that allows it to bypass the antibodies again. But again, that's still back to the antibodies.
2: Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller.
1: I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at P.T. Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.
0: The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum, powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state